Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, what a weekend, huh? We had PGA Tour golf back. We had guys hitting two-foot putts that were lipping out and coming right back at them. Looking to you, Xander Shoffley. Wrong line, wrong speed. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Now it's happening on tour. You know, I thought the craziest thing about that... There were six guys who were major champions within three shots of the lead going into Sunday. I figured one of them was going to make a charge. Did I know if it would be Spieth or McElroy? Or, eh, it's not how it played out. You just never know with golf. You never know. It was good to have it back. It was weird hearing everything except the roar of the crowd, but uh, it was still good to have it back. <clears throat> the... Uh, the big story of the weekend, I think, was the Friday night call. 80 to 100 NBA players on a Zoom call out of about 450. I think there's been more than one of these, but the one Friday night got a lot of run. Uh, you get that many players on a call, and, you know, different guys, different agents, uh, have different relationships with uh, national basketball writers. <clears throat> so there were different quotes coming out from the Zoom call about who said what to whom. <coughs> And uh, there were some Donovan Mitchell quotes, you know, and, and ESPN had something different from Yahoo, and they're both different from Athletic because it all depends on who their source is on the Zoom call and what portion of the conversation they choose to recall. So trying to get a complete picture, get in context, you know, good luck with that. The big picture they took away from reading multiple articles is that, you know, the, the players, uh, the union's management, the leadership – they're on the same page with the owners and they communicated with the reps on each team but that information didn't automatically all filter down or did they maybe they didn't all have the answers for all the questions that came from the team so it seems a little out of order to me honestly this i thought should have been handled i thought this you know the hay was already in the barn on this one but they had players with thoughts questions comments all that kind of stuff and it looks like little brush fires. I don't think anything's going to blow up. You know, there were some, uh, there were some big statements. Kyrie Irving taking the lead about you know this is bleep and not wanting to go play. But there were other players pushing back. Um, Austin Rivers of the Rockets saying, well, you know, there, Dwight Howard uh, said, hey, we shouldn't be playing basketball due to distraction. We should work on the social justice issues. And Rivers saying uh, to essentially to Howard and to Kyrie Irving, hey, we can do both. Uh, not everybody's made the money you guys have made, and so some of them need the work. And for some guys, that is the platform. You know, probably not for the stars because they're celebrities and whatever they do and say and put up on social media. You know, when you're LeBron, uh, you, you make news anytime you, you send something out on social media. But for the guys who aren't that big of stars, Austin Rivers, right? Nice player. Nobody considers him a star. You know, guy 14, 15, 16, probably isn't going to make that much of an impact. But for the guys in the Austin Rivers range, where you're a pretty good player and a pretty good team, if you're playing, I think arguably, in my mind, and everyone can argue this, but in my mind, you got a bigger stage. Uh, if you wear a T-shirt in warm-ups, people will notice. If you do an interview or put something on social media while your team is winning, people will notice. Are there going to be post-game interviews and a chance to say something? That remains to be seen. Uh, but I think players hold up their 
uh, in Orlando in a hotel with nothing to do on an off day. They can do all kinds of interviews, put stuff out on social media, and people will be paying attention, I think. I think they're going to play. I think there's too much money not to. I think that the, uh, well, I've read that the 88 regular season games in Florida are worth $300 million with no fans. No fans, no concessions, no merchandising. $300 million. The playoffs are worth more than that. And if they don't go, then the owners could lock them out in the next season. You could use the force majeure. It's an act of God. We can't play. We've got to renegotiate the CBA. And instead of getting 50% of the revenue, well, you get locked out and you lose some money next year. And then maybe you end up getting 45 or 40% of the revenue down the line. I don't know how that would play out. I, I don't think the basketball players want to mess with that. I think if you take a step back and you look at all the bad publicity baseball's getting, and I think baseball's still going to play. Basketball doesn't need that. They've done a much better job on the PR side than baseball. No reason to mess it up now. I think they'll play. You know, with Mitchell, it seemed the thing that came out that made the most sense to me was he wants insurance. Start, stop, start. Now, he's going to play fewer games, so it seems like there's less risk of getting hurt, but maybe the starting, the stopping, things coming back, there'd be some kind of injury that cost him money. seems to me like insurance for the handful of players, and I read that it was five guys on the rookie contracts who could be getting max deals. Insurance for those five guys, I don't think that's a deal breaker. Doesn't seem like it ought to be to me. What do I know? All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. All right, time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz and his weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are my friends this morning? Excellent. You? Apparently excellent also. I'm great. I did a whole basketball breakdown of Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal and looked at whether Bradley Beal's the model for Donovan going forward. Felt very, felt very good to like do something like that. Why Bradley Beal, I'm afraid to ask. Well, because Bradley Beal jumps, you know, one shooting guard, point guard, hybrid. I think they're similar, 6'3", six, 6'1". Six, I think Donovan is 6'1", is a big 6'1". So I think that sense they're similar. Uh, Beal's jumped to 30 points a game scoring this year from 17 originally, then to 22, then to 26. Mm-hmm. And what did he, you know, what, what has he done? What's allowed him to make that jump? Donovan's on this kind of nice trajectory, but then floated around not always being totally efficient, and Bradley Beal's been able to get a bit more efficient, and so, even while scoring 30 points a game, and so what are the what are the things you can see from Bradley Beal, and what translates to Donovan Mitchell? You speak of this hybrid, is that what it's going to be going forward, that that's not going to be the unusual, it's actually going to be the way the position is played? <laughs> Well, I think it actually might have as much to do with the players like Joe Ingles or even a boy on Bogdanovich a little bit that everyone's going to be able to handle. And so, you know, when they, if you go back and look at like the Stockton Jazz, when Jeff Malone is the two, like he can't handle. Like they kept trying, we kept trying in the old days to give Jeff Malone a chance to to play the point guard, and it always was like a disaster. We always end up, you know, Delaney Rudd was so bad. We try it in the playoffs every year, and it wouldn't work. 
And then you've got Hornacek who could kind of do both things, and that was unique at the time. But Brian Russell couldn't handle, and David Benoit couldn't handle, and Ronnie Brewer in the Darren Williams era couldn't handle. But that's over. Every single player that comes in this league now is so skilled with so many um, things that they can do with the ball in their hands that there's no need to have the dominating single point guard player anymore. And so in, in as much as a hybrid, I think it has to do with how skilled every other player is. In the case of Donovan specifically, the number one thing, I mean, there's two things he really needs to do to his game, but one of them is find a way to actually get more catch and shoot threes. This is one of the, you know, three or four or five elite level catch-and-shoot shooters in the NBA. He's been over 40% catch-and-shoot three for all three of his first years. That's unheard of. Like, that, there are very, very few players that do it, and yet he takes way more off-the-bounce threes than he does catch-and-shoot threes because he's always creating for himself. So there needs to be a level where somebody else is at times creating and finding Donovan to allow him to use what is probably his best skill, his pure shooting. Of course, the question is, will he get those catch-and-shoot threes? Will anybody ever leave him? Because a lot of times you get those when guys rotate off you. But if you're shooting over 40%, they're not going to leave you, and those are going to be harder to get, even though he does have, well, obviously Conley and Joe Ingles to create. So if Bradley Beal's getting four a game, Donovan can get four a game. Going to have to screen for him then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're doing it and what they're doing. And, you know, it's not as though Scott Brooks is thought of as some offensive marvel. So are they doing it early? Are they doing it? I don't know. I mean, the chances are I've done a bunch of studies this summer on when you get certain types of shots and where shots are effective in the shot clock and things of that nature. And, I mean, I think those are probably have to be a little early. Um, we're so great middle of the shot clock as a team. Um, one of the best in the league and, and – uh, become more efficient as, as we get into that middle range of the shot clock and do things that other teams can't do. That's our strength. How do you not lose that while maybe adding that early catch-and-shoot three or something of that sort to get that for someone like Donovan? I, I don't know exactly when they come, but that's worth that's worth looking into. Um, you know, Davis Bertans, Duncan Robinson, these players are changing the league, but they're six seven, six eight, and they're able to get their shots off with uh, at a high level three. And so the next, you know, that's why I use Bradley Beal for this conversation because you have to find out, you know, who the six one, who the six three guy is that's able to find a way to get those looks, and then particularly get those looks when the defense is zeroed in on. So I want to make sure you say his shooting is his best skill. Absolutely. Then and I actually other... untap, still untap. Like I actually think when you think of Clay Thompson, like coming around curls, catching on the wing elevating, squaring his shoulders, banging down that shot, that's in Donovan's repertoire. We haven't done it, you've done it yet, but that's in his game. What stuff does he need to improve on then to move up to get some other stuff at that level? Uh, he's got to get the foul line more, and he's got to get out of the floater zone into the rim. Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal has done something remarkable in his game in his ability to draw fouls. He's gone from like four free throws a game to eight. It's really unheard of. Um, and how he's doing it. He drew more fouls this season in whatever, 65 games than he did in 82 last year. So what he's done in that realm, I'm not sure. Worth looking into. Um, you know, his numbers are valuable. How, you know, film will tell you what's been done. Um, and then Beal, 
has stayed out of that floater zone that Donovan has has kind of lived in a little more than he probably needs to. Donovan needs to move probably a shot a night out of the floater zone and to the rim and then add a shot a night at the rim and also draw some fouls. That's a huge ask right there. But he's capable. He's great. There's only 10 guys in the league who average seven free throws a night. How does Donovan get into that group? Because a guy like Trey Young is already there. Doncic is a bigger guy, so I get why he's there. Um, but Beal, Damian Lillard, Trey right. Young. Those are the models. Yeah, those are. Yeah, those, yeah. those three, you've got to figure out, got to go watch what they're doing. And then I don't have it in front of me, but if you pull up basketball reference, what's Dame's? Dame used to have a lot of rim problems early in his career, um, and he's evolved and gotten better. Uh, actually, he against Gobert is this like, fascinating matchup on the evolution of both those guys' careers. Like, Early, Dane could never finish when Gobert was on the floor. Then he figured it out. Then Rudy figured back out how to guard out on the floor a little bit better. It's been a really interesting kind of, if you look at that, um, matchup. Uh, but it'd be interesting to look at the free throw progression that's taking place uh, in Dane's career. Trey Young is really incredibly awesome in a bunch of categories that leads you to believe that he, he's really, really special. Um, one of which is free throws for a player his size that his year in the second year in the league is unheard of. And the other one that's really interesting, David, is if you look at two metrics, one is passes from the paint to shooters and also passes it, uh, two players at the rim. Almost all of the successful players to do that are Ben Simmons, LeBron James, James Harden, Luka Doncic. They're all 6'5 or bigger, and they're able to see over the defense and make that pass out. And the one name that's in all of those groups that doesn't seem to fit is Trey Young. It's incredible. Hey, curious if you have, uh, now that you've got the uh, schedule laid out here as far as eight regular season games in Orlando, if you've uh, doped that out for teams three, four, five, and six, how are Denver, Utah, Oklahoma City, and Houston likely to end up? And will any of them move out of that group? Might Dallas or the Clippers, you know, they're two and seven right now. Well, we don't have official schedules yet, so I have not done that. I, I'm hearing we'll get those in a few weeks. Um, so, I, you know, I don't – the thing that was reported conceptually is nice that you just kind of go through your schedule and find the teams that are of the 22 in the bubble and then play those it doesn't work perfectly mm-hmm. like it just does like i've done you can look at it and it doesn't line up exactly right to do that some teams would end up playing nine games some teams would play seven so there's going to be some adjustments so the fight you know i would you know at some point are the jazz really going to playing the spurs twice What's that last game? I think it's against Dallas. Will we play that game? Like, or will we end up playing somebody else? I, I'm not certain how this is going to play out. Eastern Conference is far more complicated. There's only nine teams there. So I, I, I'm waiting to see what – I think that's a ballpark of what we're doing, but I don't think it's actually a representation. You talk about Mitchell eliminating the floater and going to the rim. Is that just a matter of continuing to the rim? What does that actually mean? Um a great question, PK. Uh, so one of the things that's difficult is probably he's a two-foot jumper versus a one-foot jumper naturally. So some of it, I think, from a skill standpoint, um, without getting totally out of my realm of, and, and un- probably not understanding enough 
from a basketball realm to answer this question. Uh, but that's my first kind of basketball take is learning how to use one foot a little bit. Um, there's probably a slight mentality change in there of right now and early in Donovan's career he became elusive and an ability to kind of get around the defense and use his wiggle to be able to avoid contact. And there's probably some aspect of being willing to, to take that contact. Um, he's such a great learner and, and, and has always shown that ability. Um, so there's some fine line in there that you're, you know, you got to be willing to have the contact right at the rim rather than avoiding the contact as a floater. And then um, that's also how you're drawing fouls. The other one that's really interesting I looked into during this uh, period of time, I've done a lot of research projects that have yielded nothing. Um, every now and then I did something that came up with something, and that is where people draw fouls. And it's worth noting that actually most fouls are drawn in the paint, non-restricted areas, not at the rim. So I, my analytical take on this without any basketball coaching or knowledge on it is that the problem with the floater is that you've committed to the shot in a time period where Harden and Lillard and the guys drawing the foul are still keeping a dribble and drawing contact to draw a foul in that area. But I, from what I looked at where fouls are drawn, they're not drawn at the rim. The, the players, my guess on this again, I'm guessing is that players have gotten so good with verticality and understanding how to protect the rim that you actually aren't getting that foul call at the rim like you did in the old days. So you're having to get that foul call early by making contact off the bounce before you get to the rim and then committing to the shot there. Again, analytics are nice. Film work is the answer on David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. Should Jazz fans get their hopes up? Mike Conley looked like he was playing his best basketball right before the season stopped. Now Bogdanovich is out, which means there's going to be more possessions, more shots available for somebody else. Is this perfect for Conley to kind of slide back? Not exactly, but more towards what his role was in Memphis. Yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly be awfully glad you have Mike Conley because you lose 20 points a game out of Boyan Bogdanovich and you want to know where we're going to find him. That, you know, you've got another guy who's averaged 20 points a game and hasn't been asked to do that is going to have to do it. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, that Mike's value is going to be tremendous uh, at this point um, because of to, to pick up that slack. Uh, the other thing I think where Mike's going to be really, really valuable is if you want to write the script on how the Jazz win games, I think, you know, it's shooting. Uh, and you've lost Boyan Bogdanovich's 40% shooting, though Niang's going to take some minutes there, and he'll, he'll be able to match that, and Royce is going to have to shoot really, really well. Uh, but Mike's, you know, one of the elite shooters as well, and so how can you find some opportunities? I mean, you're going to have to really find a way to get a pick-and-roll game going with your three-point guards, Donovan, or three ball handlers, Donovan, Mike, and Joe, and have them being able to find open three-point shooters off of that game and and maybe a little bit of an accelerated piece as well, but we're going to be such a bad rebounding team that it's going to be hard to play with an accelerated pace when you've got to bring everybody back to rebound. Do you think going forward there, the guards are going to need to have the same type of skills, meaning they can be interchangeable and play both positions that Wolf Tree recognizes as a one and a two? 
I think you're going to have to be really, really special in this league to be under 6'4 in play. And it might get to be 6'5. So Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell. But you're, when you're scouting players and looking at a collegiate player, if they're going to be a pro player, my thought right now is if you're under 6'4", 6'5", you better be really special. So the the backup six foot point guard is uh, is history. That's all done. They're going to be looking for guys in college who are uh, six five, six six, six seven, who can handle the ball and turn them into backup backup guards. I'm get, I, that's my guess. And if less, if you're six feet, six one, six two, you better have an off the bounce. Devonte Graham in Charlotte. I, I'm gonna. I don't have it in front of me. I'm gonna guess top ten off the bounce three point shooter right now. Like, you better have that um, if you're going to do, like, you know, but I'm just guessing where the trends are going. There is also a point where there aren't enough players in the cupboard that fit the description I'm talking about, uh-huh. and so therefore the other players exist still. Um, there might not be enough six foot four, six foot five players to actually fill your roster spots, and so then, you know, you you end up with the players that are doing – that, but like, like I love the draft. I don't know if it'll ever pan out, but I love the Mia One draft pick. Like he's long. He's six four, six five. Like, like he, like that just has got a chance to do all sorts of different things this league. You know, we'll figure it out. Maybe he's going to be good enough. Maybe he's not. It's a late second round pick. The chances are he's not. But that type of player has has a chance. You know, I think the other one to look at is when you're we're just talking about draft and non-superstar players and you're trying to find a way in the league, I'm stealing someone's thoughts right now. So if he's listening, he can take this as a compliment. Um, but you got to have multiple paths to play if you're not a superstar. So if you're coming in the league and your only thing you can do is be a backup, you know, be a six-foot-tall point guard, then the only way you're going to play is if you either are better than the guy in front of you or, you know, I mean, there's only one path to play, right? That one position on the roster. If you're 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", there's multiple paths by which you play. You might be able to do this or that. You could play a little. It, it, you can fit into the rotation. Royce O'Neal is a great example of this, right? Royce O'Neal has played multiple different positions for the Jazz in different manners and excelled in almost all of them. Uh, and that's, he's had multiple paths to play. Frankly, Joe kind of fits into that a little bit. Like, he's long enough, and he's got ball handling skills, so he can play kind of some one, but he's big enough that if he has to guard a four, he can do that. And he plays some three, and he's athletic. his length makes him cover up for any deficiencies athletically if he's guarding. His length actually makes him a good athlete, kind of in an untalked-about way. Like, he's a good example of that. Royce is, you know, lacks athleticism, but is able to use his pure body strength to be able to slide anywhere between the two, three, and four and, and handle any of those positions defensively. His shooting's got good enough he can play. Um, so, he, you know, I, I think that's what I'm talking about, is that you have multiple paths to play to get into this league. If you're the six-foot-tall point guard, you better be really special. Well, from John Crotty to uh... – 
Jacques Vaughn to Raul Neto. We, we've seen a lot of those guys come through town. I, I, I think maybe your other point is there just aren't enough Joe Ingles-sized guys who can handle the ball. Yeah, I, I think that every single player that comes in League Six Nine or below is going to be able. To, like, I mean, think about I know Brandon Ingram's really, really good, but like the, the the Brandon Ingram of the past didn't used to be able to handle. Right, that's new. Like, think about how many six nine guys in our league can handle. He's David Locke. He joins us every week right here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the Zone. David, thanks for a few minutes. You bet. My pleasure. You guys are awesome. Keep it going. There's David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he joins us every week here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, Ryan Lacey, former Utah football player, defensive back, cornerback, and uh, he was on Twitter saying that Morgan Scally dropped a racial slur on him uh, when he was a freshman. And we will get to the interview with him and have him explain what happened and what he thinks now and what happened subsequently to that and what he thinks now. And we'll do that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined now by the former Utah football player, Ryan Lacey. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. So no problem. We, we saw what you tweeted out about uh, the language, the racial slur you accuse uh, Morgan Scally of using. And I'm, I'm curious, what was the situation? Was it a one-time situation? Was it something that happened more than once? Uh, uh, no, it, it was a one-time situation, um, and I was a freshman when it happened, and it was a quick thing that happened, you know, at practice, and I, I just held on to it for, for a long time, you know, and I just kind of, that word just made me look at that coach a little different. So then when I was I was a senior, and, uh, you know, I went through my career, I decided to approach him and, you know, tell him that, you know, this wasn't right, and, you know, I held on to this for so long, and, you know, we did kind of get an apology from it, and uh, we moved on. Did you report it to anybody during that time, during your time at Utah? I did not, but, you know, there were teammates around when that word was used. Um, and, I, 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 yeah, I didn't report it to anybody. I didn't feel like I had the place as a freshman to go report it, or I, I, I didn't know. Kind of, kind of set the scene for us, because players spend a lot of time around coaches. There's times right. in meetings and meeting rooms. There's times on the practice mm-hmm. field. You know, on the practice field, somebody, your coaches yell at players from 30 yards away. So right. what happened? What was the situation? Um, uh, the situation is, uh, I mean, I don't want to disclose exactly what happened. Uh, just, you know, but uh, it was used at practice um, uh, in front of me and a couple other players. And uh, it was a, it was a disrespectful thing to say, and um, and, and we dealt with it. And um, right now, the situation at hand is what um, uh, the, the racially uh, explicit text that that family was sent. Did you know about the text messaging? So when this story came out, it wasn't a surprise to you. 
I did not know about the text messages. I saw the article, and uh, I went to the article, and I was reading through, and I hit Twitter, and I'm never really on Twitter that much. And I saw the family getting a lot of backlash from um, from um, what they felt like was explicit in the text. And so I replied based on, you know, protecting the family, not really thinking that anyone was going to see it, just, you know, that I've experienced that too, so they weren't alone. So I was standing with the family, and I wasn't expecting it to blow up and be on any platform, but it did. Yes, it definitely did. So I'm curious, have you been uh, contacted, the U's doing an investigation, have you been contacted, and if so, by who? Um, I, I wouldn't want to disclose that information either, but I have I've spoken to my university rep, and uh, we're going to handle it kind of that way. So we have you saying that he called you the word, and then we know that he's admitted that he sent it to a family in a text. Do you know of right. any other instances with any other former teammates that it may have been said? I, I do not. I mean, I had my the, my incident with him, and that was mine. And I mean, if anybody else has, I, I wouldn't know about it. But I do see a lot of uh, former players coming out with their truth and, and you know the experience they had with that coach. And you know, um, other than that, I, I didn't. I haven't heard them say it to anyone else, or you know. So, have you been in touch with the players who were around who witnessed the uh, the? When he used it with you, you say what you said. There were some other players there. I, I have not uh, spoken to anyone. I kind of I'm not really a social media guy. And once it blew up, like I just kind of shut down. Like I, I wasn't reading any other tweets or reaching out to anybody. I was just commenting on that um, post of the family, just uh, you know, to send with them, and uh, and, and yeah. So, Ryan, when I was growing up, it was understood in my generation, man, if you use that word, that was the ultimate insult. And it's just something that you just did not do, even in whatever conversation and whatever situation you were in. What does that word mean to you and to your generation, do you think? It, it, it's a deep word because, you know, I we have, I have ancestors that um, – you know, are of the African-American descent. And if that word was used around my grandpa, you know, back in, you know, it's just something that it's not okay at all. Uh, to me, you know, whether it, the word is used a lot more loosely now by a lot, a lot of people, but to, to you know, from a, you know, white coach perspective, to call another black kid that is, is the ultimate disrespect in my book. Um, but that that word is it was it's not even used. My dad won't even let me use that word in my household. So that's the kind of how deep it is for my family. But it's it's way deeper than the word because the word has a lot of history behind it, you know. And the history is not good history. It's history of oppression of of our of our people, and that's just something that you don't do, you know. And and that's what it is. Ryan Lacey joining us, former Utah defensive back. So some of the players who have come out uh, have spoken about uh, both to us but to other publications as also have said uh, in their opinion, in their interaction, uh, you know, there are issues with Morgan that need to be addressed, but they don't right. want to see him let go. Is that how you feel uh, or you feel differently? I, 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 would, I, I would never want to see, you know, uh, uh, anyone lose their career over a mistake because we all make mistakes. And, you know, and, and we can all come, recover from mistakes. And um, I would not want to see him, you know, he has a family, you know, he has a wife. And I would not want to see, you know, him lose his job over a mistake. You know, I, I, I forgive him and I feel like, you know, we can all forgive him. But it's just something that, you know, it's a mistake at the end of the day. 
You said by the time you were a senior, I want to make sure that this is correct. It was set to you as a freshman. And so then a few years later when you were a senior, he approached you and apologized. How did you react at that time? We know what you're saying now, but at that time, how did you react? Um, well, I approached him initially with my truth of how I held on to that word. And, you know, and I wanted him to know that you know, I felt some type of way for him saying that. But when I got the apology, I just I didn't I, I didn't feel satisfied. But I, it was an apology, you know, and, and I, I didn't take it on with me after that. You know, just, just something that I wanted to let out, and I was more um, uh, relieved that I got that off my chest than wanting an apology. Like I'm glad that he heard that. You know, I was upset about that. So uh, you've, you've mentioned this a couple times, and I don't know how to kind of summarize it, just so I need a little clarification. The, the apology, it was heartfelt. You felt it 100%. There was a little bit of a hang-up there. You couldn't fully... It, 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 was, it was a little bit of an excuse of, uh, I've done this with my old teammates, and this is kind of something that, like, I didn't mean to, but it was like it, more of like I, I, meant I was joking with you more than like, oh, I apologize if that hurt you. It wasn't an apology like that. It was more of like, oh, I was joking around, like, you know, I didn't mean it like that. Okay, so at the time when you say he said it, in your mind, there was no question that it wasn't a joking situation. I'm sorry, can you uh, repeat that? At the time he said it, in your mind, it wasn't a situation in which it was meant lighthearted. It wasn't a joke. Uh, The word period, it wasn't a joke to me. Whether he said it in a joking manner or he said it serious, it wasn't a joke at all. It was the word that that was what we're talking about. You say this bothered you over the course of the three years or so. Uh, did you yeah. have any con- any other conversations with the teammates who witnessed it and how they took it and how they processed it and how they felt about it over time? Um, n- not exactly. When it happened, the teammates I was around, we all looked at each other and like a uh, confused okay whatever type thing we're at practice and we'll let it go and when I did approach him I did speak to one player about the situation at hand and, and uh, Morgan actually apologized to both of us at the same time it wasn't just me alone it was another player that was apologized to during that time what's your relationship with the University of Utah football program now Ryan um, I have a great relationship. I go to every single game. I'm still in touch with Coach Shaw very closely. I love him to death. Um, I'm, uh, you know, every game I'm there in California. I'm still in touch with a lot of my teammates. But I feel like I have a great relationship with the University Utah program, football program. So you are you living in Sacramento now? Yes. So when you go to the games, are you talking about going to Stanford or Cal or maybe down to LA? Yeah, Stanford, Cal, and then you know they played out here in uh, Levi Stadium twice, and I'm there. Yeah, you're right. Um, do you have uh, any knowledge of any other coaches on the staff saying this besides Morgan Scally? Not at all. No, that was one incident with uh, uh, Coach Scally, and that's about it. I haven't heard it from anybody, and I've. I, I, yeah, well, we've hit you with a lot of questions here and all in a row, and you've answered them. I'm curious if there's anything that we don't know to ask that you want to share with us. Um, I just well, I want to say something. Go Utes, first of all. And um, I, this one incident does not define uh, the university as, or the program or uh, the alumni, my brothers. As, uh, so 
I mean, hopefully at the end of this, we can all come through this in, in, in a positive light and, uh, you know, continue to play football again. Because University of Utah is one of the most prestigious universities and great pro- football programs out there. And I had a great time uh, playing with my brothers. And uh, that's it. Well, Ryan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. I, I guess one more thing. Do you have a good relationship with Coach Shaw. Did you ever talk to him about this? I have not. I, I never did. Um, I never did. It was something that was just, you know, kind of something I held on to and brushed under the rug until I had the opportunity to present it to Scully. All right. Well, Ryan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. No problem. All right, there's Ryan Lacey, the former Utah defensive back, and he was on Twitter a few days ago, uh, as he said it, uh, supporting the people he saw who were, uh, you know, you, you, you say something on Twitter, you can get blasted. And so I can, see, I can see the logic he presented there, PK. He felt like he was sticking up for another family he thought was taking heat, sharing his personal experience. Well, you know, going forward, these are serious uh, accusations or yeah. a singular accusation. And I would think that that would be a significant part of the investigation. Now, I don't know what he wants to do regarding that. I mean, I cannot relate to this whatsoever. Not one percent. I mean, obviously, no one would say that to me. And plus, when you're a freshman and you're 17, 18 years old and you've got authority figures, uh, I don't know that, you know, you could say, well, why didn't he scream out and run to Kyle Whittingham or Sharif Shaw or whomever he felt comfortable with? Well, yeah, okay, you can say that, but I can't say that the, that this young man, well, at the time he was a young man, he's obviously older now, that he should have been able to do that because if it happened, uh, would you be scared? Would you be baffled? What would you do? I don't know what you would do. You know, there's so many things that we say, oh, in this situation, I would have done this, I would have done that. You know, the one thing I've learned uh, across the span of my life is I don't know how I would react unless I was in that situation. And obviously I would never be in that situation. So that's a double whammy against me. So I have no form of being able to relate to how to respond, how to receive it, what to do. I would think though, if I'm, if I'm the U of U and I'm hiring an outside firm to investigate this, well, I don't really need to investigate so much the accidental text that was sent to the family of the receiver because that's already been admitted and they could easily solve that. And there's nothing really to solve, but I mean, they can get to the bottom of that with a one or two phone calls because Morgan Scally has already admitted that. And to me, that's it's not water under the bridge, but those are facts that are proven. It's the other stuff as far as was there a systematic uh, a what am I looking for? A, a pattern, pattern, yeah, pattern of behavior, pattern. right? Yeah, a pattern, you know, because then that becomes extremely problematic. I'm not here to say that Morgan Scally did it. I certainly am not here to say he's a racist and all these types of things, because those are serious accusations that I really have no idea. In my experience, the answer would be no. That's the whole, but I can only look at it through my eyes. But I would think the investigation would include that. And Ryan Lacey saw fit to go public. I mean, he literally says Morgan Scally called me the N word that ends in an A. And, you know, I do appreciate that he said that people have gotten loose with that word. And I, I think we would all acknowledge that that's a fact. And, and I think you and I growing up, man, that was there was no way. There was way. no way. <laughs> there was n- the Sniggledorf household. What would happen to me? Boy, there was no way. But and I don't remember who it was that came on who pointed out it's not just in in movies, 
but you know you can hear it in the movies now. You know, it's not just a music thing. Um, and so in popular culture, it's out there. But a word that's as loaded as that word, I mean, you know, there's got to be a relationship, a real strong relationship and a lot of confidence because that word, as well as Ryan just said, I mean, that word carries a lot of weight with it. Just, I mean, to say it carries big negative overtones with it is a huge understatement. Um, that. And yet it is thrown out there in entertainment, in music and movies, like it's not a big deal. But I think in inter- an interpersonal situation, it usually is a big deal. Uh, and as far as a, a 17 or 18-year-old, and I don't know how old he would have been there as a freshman, but as a freshman come on, an authority figure, uh, I mean, I can look back at when I played high school basketball, and there were no racial overtones to it, um, but there was language that I think would absolutely be questionable, improper in some people's mind. And I heard it used repeatedly, and I never mentioned it. I had a, I had a basketball coach who routinely dropped F-bombs. Routinely. <clears throat> and if it had gone to parents, it could have been a big deal, and apparently it never did. We never, as players, we never really talked about it. I mean, I can remember thinking, I can't believe this guy's dropping this language like this. But I wanted to play, and I was on to the next thing. And he wasn't dropping it at me, either. It was more a team thing. Oh, so it wasn't individuals. It wasn't. It wasn't calling out one person or two gotcha. people. You know, you got to bleep and take care of the ball. You know, but it was it was repeated. I mean, literally a dozen f bombs in a practice. Sure, I'm sure that happened. I mean, we're going back a bunch of years, but yeah, it was routine. It was it was routine. And he was. And I'll say this: he was he was a good coach, but he had a very positive impact on my life. A very, I mean, when, when my job was in danger and his, I could just hear him saying, do the next thing right. Don't worry about everything. Do the next thing right. You know, he would have totally signed uh, Honestly, same era, same mentality as Jerry Sloan. The guy played college basketball in the 60s, and he was coaching high school basketball in the 70s and 80s. And the same mentality. So if you can see Sloan dropping F-bombs on the sideline, then you can see my high school coach. This guy coached me in the 10th and 12th grade. And he, would, he was dropping them on the sideline. You know, he didn't do it during games, though. He knew not to do that. But in practice... Rawr, you know, but I, I never said anything. I never said anything to my parents. I never complained. Now it wasn't directed at me, so that's a little different. But I kind of think I wouldn't have if it had been directed at me. If I would have complained to my mother, she would have just told me STFU. I don't know all the parents. <laughs> I don't know all the parents on the team, so I don't know how they all would have reacted, but I know the community and all that, and if all the parents had known, several of them would have reacted. But everybody wanted to play, and nobody challenged an authority figure. So, I mean, I do kind of get that mentality for the people who are saying, well, why didn't he say something? I mean, he's, he's tight with Sharif Shah, and yet he never told Shah about it, you know? So, and he said he didn't tell anybody about it. Oh, yeah. Then, I mean, you got that's what this this investigation is going to be so intriguing to me. Because do you bring in somebody like a Sharif Shaw and say, Sharif, have you ever used this word? And so, what's he going to does Sharif have to get a lawyer here involved? Is his job on that online? I don't know. I mean, where are we going with this? I I think that if they want to keep Morgan, and I've said this before, and I still believe it, I haven't heard anything different. If they want to keep Morgan, and I think they do because they could have let him go if they didn't, uh, but they can't have surprises after the investigation. So the investigation needs to be really thorough. 
Right. So if I'm Morgan, I get a lawyer, too, because if you're going to fire me for doing this, well, what about him, him, him and him? If I have references to them, whoever them might be, I don't know. Maybe no one's done it. Maybe no one's done it. And everyone is clean. If you consider that clean or dirty, I don't know. I mean, language is loaded. I don't even know if I'm using loaded language (laughs) as I speak. No, but I think to your point, you know, if that's the line in the sand and if one coach crosses it and if one coach loses his job over it, then if other coaches cross that line in the sand, how come, you know, when they have to get the same penalty? Uh, are people going to get lawyers? Uh, this is America in 2020. The answer to that question is yes, people are going to get lawyers. Well, yeah, I don't blame them. Because right. if the other yeah. side has one, you yeah. that's what it was explained to me that very recently. Well, wait a second. If they've got one, you should have one too. I guess the one thing that um, has surprised me and I'm second guess myself about whether it should have, is that we've now talked to multiple players, and they don't line up in exactly the same spot with Morgan. You know, there are some who are completely just, they're all in on Morgan. I mean, they love Morgan, right? There's others who think they're issues, but they've never heard that word used. And then we have Ryan who says, well, that word was used. But across the board, the one thing they all have in common is nobody wants Morgan to lose his job. That's the public position. Now, maybe privately they would say something else, but we've asked multiple players on the air now, and we've seen Chris Camrani and other people have been reporting on it. I have not seen one player say, I think he should lose his job. We've seen players on Twitter you know, putting themselves out there, not being interviewed by somebody, but putting themselves out on social media saying he shouldn't lose his job. Right. And, and for, you know, this is the kind of word that can cost people their job. You know, in the abstract. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. And yet, every person we have spoken to or seen on Twitter has said no, no one has said he should go and many of them have said he he should not go he should stay including yeah, Ryan which, yeah absolutely yeah, not something uh, I probably would have guessed going into all of this well I think between Ryan Lacey was like the last voice so to speak I think Chris Camrani had the definitive piece in print mm-hmm. phenomenal job that Chris did. There's Re- no question really about it. Really good work. Really good and, work. And yes, some of the best sports journalism I've ever seen. So I commend him. So you take that, and I don't think he spoke to Lacey. I read this, I read the piece, and I've spoken to Chris. I don't think he ever spoke to Lacey. I could be wrong on that. But now you got, he did tremendous work, Chris did. So you got that over there. Now we've got Ryan Lacey. And to back up what you're saying, I don't believe any of these folks that Chris interviewed. Uh, and then Lacey here over saying what he just said on the air. You're right in terms of no one that I'm aware of is calling for his resignation. And it seems like there's the support for him to continue to keep the work. And so I wonder how that will factor into everything. Uh, and we know what would the public reaction be? Because you look at the Dobble Sweeney thing and he's getting reaction for, well, you should have fired this individual who said it back then. Now, the U of U hasn't reached a conclusion, so there's no backlash on a decision because no decision has been made. But eventually here, and eventually being shorter than longer, that there will be a decision made, and then that becomes a huge story, and whatever that decision is, either way, becomes a huge story because the Dobble Sweeney thing is a story. Well, for the Utes, when they reach that decision, yes or no, that becomes a story. And will there be blowback if he stays? Will there be blowback if he's fired, for that matter? What will be the reaction? The answer is yes and yes. 
There will be people who will not like the decision, whatever the decision is. And if they've made it, it's not public. You know, what, whatever they're thinking, they're, they're holding their cards closed, right? And do the investigation and don't let anything leak. But whatever is decided, people are going to be upset with it. This is not, there is no unity in the community on this one. If he is kept, there will be people who are upset. If he is let go, there will be people who are upset. Uh, people are going to be upset. I, I don't see any way around that. Yeah, but I like what Ryan said. You know, Morgan has a family and all those types of things. So even though whether it was said or not, I can't vouch for it. I can only take uh, uh, Lacey at his word. But yet he has compassion for Morgan Scally. That appears to be true, right? Yeah. All right. Coming up next, all the headlines. What is trending? Stay with us.